Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I am the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, this podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Today, I don't have an SLP, but I have a school psychologist here, Dr. Brandy Tanner, who's going to be talking all about IEPs and the IEP process and how to work with families. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be on your show. Thank you for your invitation. Of course. Tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your role in the IEP process. Well, I started out my career as a special ed teacher, and then I went back and re-specialized to become a school psychologist. So the majority of my career was school-based services. After a while, I decided I wanted to work more directly with families. So I switched out into private practice, and now I've been leaning more into advocacy work. I love it. So what are some things you're currently working on that we could share about? Um, I get a lot of questions from parents trying to figure out how they can communicate effectively with their school team. So I talk a lot with parents about how they can prepare for upcoming IEP meetings, what kind of questions they should ask, what types of things they should be prepared to hear. So I do a lot of those types of things. Many families have questions about how to get an IEP for the first time. So I've been trying to put out a lot of education information about response to intervention and multi-tiered systems of support. Over the course of both working in schools and out of schools, I have found that SLPs are some of the best people as far as making parents feel comfortable and communicating effectively with the whole team if there are any breakdowns in communication. So that is usually a team member that I can rely on to kind of help move the process along and grease the wheel so that everything goes smoothly. So amazing. And I know everything varies from state to state. Here in New York, I don't run the IEP meetings. The school psychologist runs them. 
So she's the one that schedules them, runs them, invites the parents in, is the one running the show. But I know in other states, SLPs, whoever the case manager might be, is the one that is running the IEP meetings. So what advice would you give to an SLP who is running these meetings to help support the parents in the process? I think one of the most important themes that, you know, the case manager, SLP, special education liaison, whoever it is, can do to help the parents feel comfortable is to set the expectation at the beginning so that parents know what is going to be discussed, provide information for families to review so that they will have an opportunity to prepare any questions that they have, just so that everybody is kind of on the same page so that they know what's going to happen when they come into the meeting. At the beginning of the meeting, I find it really helpful, even if it's not a written agenda, but at least a quick rundown as to we're going to talk about one, two, and three in this order so that everybody can kind of keep on track and people will know at what point during the discussion the information that they want to talk about is going to best fit in so everybody can stay on track and get everyone's goals met. I love that. And I love that you're educating parents to advocate for themselves and their child. What are some challenges you found that parents are facing and that are needing your support? There are several different types of challenges. A lot of what I do is exactly what you just said, education-based. If we can educate you about the process and how it works, then you will be better equipped to walk in and advocate for your child. Even getting down to just the basics, we all know that special education is full of alphabet soup, and there are a lot of acronyms that fly back and forth. So. I spend a lot of time just preparing parents for if you hear LRE, they mean least restrictive environment. If they say faith, they mean free and appropriate public education. So getting people just generally up to speed about what some of those acronyms mean so that they can be informed and be able to participate in the discussion. That's a lot of what I do. That's at a general level. Then whatever the student's specific issues or concerns are, I try to talk them through clinically speaking, you know, what would be the best approach? What types of supports might be available? If we want to think outside the box, what are some other things that the team might not have considered that we can come to the table with? And then I also try to prepare parents for what also is probably not feasible. I'm sure that everybody would like to give, you know, like, you know, one-on-one services all the time, but that's not always possible. So I try to let parents know in advance what is a reasonable expectation? What's going to be something that is not possible so that we don't have to spend a lot of time in the meeting ruling all of those things out? We can stay in the realm of this is what we can do that we can support your child build that home and at school. I love that. I love that. And then if they go in there more knowledgeable and feeling more confident, they can better get what the child needs. And that, I love that. Just really just the educational piece. You yeah. mentioned that SLPs are some of the best allies with parents. Why do you say that about SLPs? I'm going to actually take that one into a personal story. Um, my first assignment as a school psychologist, um, we came in the first week of school and we had a kindergartner who was on the autism spectrum and had very, you know, a very small amount of verbal speech, um, a lot of behavioral issues. And the SLP and I kind of tag team to get that student's assessment fast tracked and get him some services as quickly as possible. And, you know, that was 12 years ago and she's still one of my best friends to this day. So herself and other SLPs that I know, a lot of what I've seen in meetings would be um, just kind of chewing into parents' body language. It looks like you have a question, you know, like, is there something that you want to ask or something that you want to say or 
doing some probing questions to find out, you know, like, is there something that's going on at home that we might need to know about at school and able to better support your child? And also kind of being that bridge between these are the school rules. These are what the parent wants. This is what's clinically appropriate. Trying to juggle all three of those things to get the student's needs met. I found that SLBs tend to be good at all of those things. So it's very, very helpful both to help the student get what they need, which that's what everybody at the table was there for. It makes parents feel more at ease, makes them feel more welcomed, makes them feel more confident and empowered in the requests that they're making. And also it benefits the team as a whole because if everybody's working collaboratively, everybody is, you know, calm and focused, then we're going to be able to get that meeting finished in a reasonable time frame, and we're going to be able to get that student the support that they need. So I just feel like those attributes, those skills, it's just a win-win for our, all parties involved. I love it that like just the tag teaming and the really work, the working collaboratively, there is no I in team. So I love mm-hmm. it that that you'll find that. It's, and also it, it's very common that speech and language is the first thing noticed with students. That's the first thing that the first glaring need of support. So often it is the SLP that's been working with the families for probably the longest also as well. That's right. I have a lot of kids that have come in that the initial concern that's reported is, you know, there's a speech and language issue. And then when I get in there and start to work with the family, I'm like, "Mm, there's speech and language and maybe some other things that we need to talk about too. So this is going to be our doorway in to get the full wraparound support that is going to help that kid be successful. What are some tips you will give to SLPs to help them better work with the families and better support for them? I think the things that I mentioned a few minutes ago regarding that proactive communication, talking with the family in a collaborative way instead of talking at parents. A lot of people don't like to just be on the receiving end of we're layering in bad news or we're layering in a lot of things that or expectations that you may or may not be able to do based on your home situation. So I feel like those things are really, really helpful. Also, I talk to parents a lot about the distinction between some of what happens with your child's school services are clinical in nature related to these are the specifics of your child's goals and objectives, the specific treatments or interventions that are going to work with them. So some of it is clinical knowledge. Also, some of it is procedural knowledge. There's paperwork, there's red tape, there's a lot of things that have to be done procedurally. So I try to educate people on both sides. Clinically, this is what we do. Procedurally, this is what we have to do. How can we make the most of that so that we can get the best services in place for the student? So kind of communicating on both sides, the clinical side and the procedural side, to help parents feel comfortable and that they're an active participant in the meeting and not just on the receiving end. Love it. Thank you. What would be some tips or strategies you would give for an SLP or anyone chairing the meeting, running the meeting to get parent input? I think soliciting that parent input in advance is a helpful way. Some of the districts that I work with will send out a questionnaire in advance of the meeting with some prompting questions. What are your students' strengths? What do you see as their weaknesses? What questions do you have? Do you have any suggestions for what they might need in the upcoming year? Things like that to kind of get the juices flowing as far as what type of input that you're seeking. 
So letting them know what kind of information that you're looking for so that they can be helpful and participate, sharing information with parents in advance so that they can formulate any questions that they have. And then at the meeting, sometimes if parents have completed those questionnaires or submitted some input in advance of the meeting, another thing is validating the parent by actually reading over what they sent in, actively discussing it. Because I have had a handful of situations where they're like, you sent in your your paperwork and we read it. We're all going to talk about the student for 10 to 15 minutes each, but we're just going to brush over yours and never talk about it. So asking for that input up front, actively talking about it at the meeting so that the parent feels like they're actively participating and not just being on the receiving end. I think it just tends to go better keeping those lines of communication open so school staff can receive what they need to know about the student. And then they can communicate what they need the parents to know in order to support the student at home as well. Have you ever dealt with any challenging situations where maybe you were in agreement or the parents were in agreement and you had to coach the parents on what to do in those situations? I recently was involved in an eligibility meeting. Like I, I fully deferred her whenever I know that I'm skirting outside of my lane, but I was like, I really can't understand this child's speech. Like... It seems problematic to me, but when we've received all the draft paperwork up front, you know, it looked borderline like, you know, is the student going to qualify for services or not? When I talked to the family, I was like, you know, okay, like, I know that you told me that, you know, his speech is a concern. Tell me more about what that's like at home. And they went through a laundry list of, you know, like, whenever he is talking to us and we don't understand what he's saying, he gets frustrated. He shuts down. Sometimes he won't even try to talk anymore and he'll just revert to pointing. We have to get the older sister to be the translator because, you know, she knows him well enough that if we can't figure it out, sometimes she can. So with all of that additional information shared with the team and like the teacher and some other team members kind of corroborated, yeah, we see that frustration and we sometimes have difficulty understanding his speech as well. It kind of, you know, like got everybody on the same page as far as, hey, here we are, you know, like we know that this is a concern. Like, let's go ahead and nip this in the bud for this young child as opposed to having them continue down that path of being frustrated. And there were also some behavioral problems that we didn't want to intensify related to that communication. So everybody was able to work together and use that information to benefit the child. So those are the types of things that I feel like if everybody gets the full information, works together, pulls together everything that we have with the student benefits in the end. And I know often sometimes as SLPs, we're being guided by administration or higher ups on how to interpret the results and things of that nature. And sometimes our hands are tied where the scores are borderline. Yeah. And it's like, well, on paper, it looks this way. So what advice will you give to SLPs who are who want to advocate for these students, but are struggling with also not going against administration? What advice would you give to them? That's a tricky situation to be in. Myself, what I used to do when I worked in a school setting and also other people that I've experienced now that I've shifted more into private settings would be leaning into your clinical judgment and not just strictly going based off of numbers and scores that are in a score report. I feel like that goes a long way to get the full picture of what's going on with someone, you know, to kind of take it outside of that, you know, 
I go to doctor's appointments with my dad because he's 85 years old and it's good if we go along and talk about how his health is together. And I read the lab results and I saw all these scores in the red and I was very nervous. But when I went into the doctor's office and they were like, you know, he's a healthy 85 year old man that's outside, you know, like planting his garden. Uh, these are fine for somebody of his age, gender, race, things like that. Interpreting it using their clinical judgment along with just those test scores, it put a very different spin on the picture. So I myself like to do that and like, I like to encourage other professionals to do the same, to pull in all the information that you have so that you can use that to make the decision that's going to be most beneficial to that person. Thank you for sharing that analogy that like we have to think like how would we feel if we were on the other side and wanting someone to be more thorough with our cases and our family members. So to look at these students, these students are someone's family members. We're all in this to make a difference and see progress of our students. So what are some last minute tips, advice that you can give to make sure that these meetings run smoothly, they work collaboratively with their team and ensure student progress? I try to work on my end with parents about doing as much proactively upfront as they possibly can to prepare for meetings. And I think on the school side of things, doing the same, just being prepared as much as we can know in advance. It's more of a matter of walking in and rubber stamping what everybody has already read, understood, and approved, as opposed to you just laid down 15 pages of paperwork I've never seen and we're starting from scratch. That makes it a much more uphill battle and, you know, makes the meetings potentially more contentious, longer, more frustrating. So getting as much information out there proactively as we can, um, if it's possible to hammer out any changes in advance or at least be aware of what we're going to discuss at the meeting. I just feel like it goes a long way. It's helpful to the parents, but it's also helpful. It comes back around to you as well when you can have a quick, easy meeting as opposed to a long, contentious meeting. Yeah, I always find when you have to make changes or whether it's for good or for bad, whatever it might be, whether you're adding more servers or taking things away, there should never be surprises at the table. That's when you're setting up for issues at the table. I could get very uncomfortable and when SLPs are reporting their score reports and their data, do you prefer the thorough route, the more concise route? What do you think is the best route for SLPs to go when it comes to reporting their findings? I am kind of a strike it down the middle type of person myself. I'm like, let me see the scores and the data and then give us, you know, a little snippet of your interpretation of what does that data mean and how should we use it and interpret it? I read a lot of evaluation reports from all sorts of different professionals. And I have a lot of talks with parents about the fact that the longer the report is, doesn't mean that it's the best. I have a lot of parents like, that was a 50-page site report. Isn't that great? And I was like, yeah, but, you know, half of it was fluff. You know, they had like a whole page of test description that didn't tell you anything about the child. It only told you about the test. So cutting out as much fluff as we can putting in the scores that we need to see, and then quickly giving your interpretation of those scores. I think that's kind of a strike it down the middle. We have the information that we need without making it too cumbersome to read through and gets the information to the parents in a way that's understandable and usable. So true. I totally am in agreement. I sit at a table sometimes and some professionals are going into lengthy detail of, you know, bell curve and where they fall. And I'm like, 
Can we be a little bit more concise and to the point? Where, where are the strengths? Where are the weaknesses? What are the findings here versus going into full analytical data here? Right. And that's another benefit of sending everything out in advance. You've had a chance to review this. I'm going to go over the highlights. Please let me know what other questions that you have. Okay, on to the next one. So it's just quicker and easier for everyone to do it that way as well. What advice would you give to SLPs or even parents listening that didn't even know that they can have an advocate or someone that can help guide them and support them in this process? I go back to advocacy as education and skills. So we talked at the top of the interview about just knowing what the acronyms mean, knowing what the rules and procedures are, knowing that you can have an advocate is, you know, like taking it to the next level. A lot of parents that I work with, I don't ever go to meetings with them. They just want somebody behind the scenes coaching them, filling in those knowledge and skill gaps that they have so that they will feel confident when they go to the meetings themselves. In some situations, I go to meetings with people It's sometimes a matter of, you know, like that parent doesn't know what to do or say in the moment when something is presented. So person that, you know, like has a little bit more knowledge and skills in that arena can be very helpful. And unfortunately, in some situations, it's just the fact that you brought an advocate and now people are going to examine your case more closely. Sometimes just having an advocate in and of itself is the strategy, unfortunately. So um, you know, there's a broad range to, yeah, a little bit of help for you. Yeah, a lot of help for you. Just whatever you feel like you need in order to walk into the meeting with confidence. Um, there's a full range of everything out there if parents feel like they need support. That's so amazing. And I wish more SLPs and more school teams, even it's okay to recommend to parents if you don't have the time to educate them yourselves, say, hey, there's people out there that can do this for you is that when you come into the meeting, you're feeling prepared and confident in making these decisions for your child. So, right. So- Every state has a parent training center to educate parents about special education, right? So everyone out there at a minimum has that. And then there are all kind of other resources that people can seek out as well. Where can people find the parent advocacy, like the site? Is it I only know for my state. I don't know for every single state, but I do know that as a part of the individuals with disabilities education have each state's required to have one. So they all have a parent training center. Ours here in Georgia is called Parent to Parent of Georgia. So each state has a similar organization. Okay, perfect. So everyone can probably look it up and find exactly what they need for their parents of the students on their case so to help them feel much more educated and aware of all the things that is available to them. So thank you so much, Brandy. Thank you so much for coming on and educating SLPs and everyone listening on just different ways that we can better serve our families, better support our students, and make the IEP process as flawless, smooth, and comfortable for everyone included involved. So where can everyone learn more about you and everything you have to offer? I am on Facebook and Instagram at Your IEP Source. My website is YourIEPSource.com. So all the socials and website are the same. I do have some workshops and a membership program that provide that education for parents. So if you have questions, feel free to check out any of those sources. That's amazing. I definitely will be recommending parents and others to check that out because it's a great resource for families to have, especially when school-based SLPs might not have that time to do it themselves directly. So thank you so, so much. I always end my episodes with a joke because humor is fun for students and everyone listening. What do you get? When you combine an elephant and a fish. I don't know. Swimming trunks. I love that. 
it's cheesy. You know, why not? This episode is airing in the first episode of the summer. So figured it's perfect to have a summer themed joke. So thank you so much. Everyone go check Brandy out on Facebook, Instagram. Check out her resources for families and definitely incorporate this into your IEP process for next school year. You won't regret it. And until next week, everyone, stay out of trouble. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. It means the world to me that you're tuning in each and every week and getting the jolt of inspiration you need. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at my website, speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss any future episodes. And while you're there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.